Hello and welcome back to Canucks Talk. Of course, we're coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. You know, we should really say that we are supported by Kintech. Have you ever thought about that, Dom? Supported by? I don't write the uh, reads. Well, fair enough. Well, anyway, there, there's, there are supporters, and they could help you with support for your arches as well. Uh, and, of course, you can get at us 650-650 at the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street. Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver. Visit them online at DunbarLumber.com. All right. Joining us on the program to steal Mike Alford's line. It's Brendan Batchelor. Batch, what were the scenes like at Canucks Morning Skate? Give us a roundup of all the latest. Yes, well, Carson Soucy was absent, and the big news after skate was Rick Tockett letting us know that he's expected to be out five to six weeks with what Tockett would only call sort of an upper body injury, I guess. So the reports of it being a hand problem, I think, are are probably realistic and, and accurate. So they're going to be without Susie for the foreseeable future here over the next month plus. Uh, and as a result, we saw Noah Juleson back on a regular pairing. And Rick Tockett has talked lately about wanting to get Juleson back in because he felt he had played well enough that he didn't really deserve to come out of the lineup. It had just become a numbers game. And the pairings were blended, too, with Quinn Hughes and Philip Hironik being split up. Hughes skating alongside Tyler Myers, Hironik with Nikita Zadorov, and then Ian Cole and Noah Juleson reunited on the third pairing. And Tockett specifically referenced liking the way those guys played together and hoping that Cole moving back to the left side would reinvigorate his game a little bit because he said he, it thought, or he thought that it had taken away from the way Cole has played lately, playing on his offside as a left-shot defenseman at the right point. Forward lines were the same. Thatcher Demko in goal for the matchup against the lowly Blackhawks tonight. Yeah, lowly indeed. Um, Canucks minus 450 favorites on the money line batch, which is like <laughs> what you'd expect from Man U versus Luton Town or something. I don't know if you'd expect it from Man U these days. Maybe Man City. <laughs> yeah, no, City's getting even worse than that. Minus 1,000. I was trying to pick a mid-table side. Um, <laughs> no, the the there's a lot of lineup stuff that I'm curious to get your takes on. And, and more than anything, just, just chew it over with you on air. Let's start with Myers-Hughes. Um, what's your thought on the split? Like splitting up Hughes and, Hughes and Hironik and trying Myers in that spot. What do, you, what do you think Tockett's getting at? What do you hope to see from that pair? Yeah, uh, it's going to be interesting because, uh, like I've talked about this before, like you and I are both the guys that tweet the line. So that's, like, for yep. me especially, like it's part of my brand. Like I'm a lines guy, and I'm always trying to get the lines out as fast as possible and racing with you to release them. But I, I do wonder if, we should be reading into line combinations and in this case defensive pairings with a grain of salt as opposed to maybe in past years in the sense that Tockett also mentioned the word committee again today. So, you know, will Hughes play on the same pairing as Myers to start the game? Yes, I believe he will. Will it be that way all night? Almost certainly not. 
Will we see Hughes and Heronic situationally if um, if necessary? Absolutely, I think so. Although you hope in a game against the Blackhawks tonight that you know throwing your two best offensive defensemen on the ice together is not necessary. And in fact, if you can have a good start like you get did against the Maple Leafs and then have a better second period this time around against an inferior opponent, that you might be able to spread your minutes around more effectively and and not lean on some of your top guys as much but all of this to say you know as much as Myers is playing with Hughes or was skating with him in warm-up how much we actually see the, them together in terms of real minutes in game I think will be an interesting thing to follow and they are a couple of players that you know have played it hasn't always been with great success but that said it hasn't also been since Quinn Hughes really leveled up his game this year and in speaking with Myers after the morning skate he talked about the fact that with the the group they have on the back end they feel confident that anybody can play with anybody pretty much and then he sort of joked you know with the exception of playing with Hughes because he's crazy and you kind of have to adapt your game to uh, the elite level things (laughs) that the Canucks captain can do so um, the one thing I will say is I think we've seen a more solid defensive Tyler Myers Mm -hmm. this year I think he's Physical been more too. conservative than what we've seen from him in past years. More physical, absolutely. So maybe some of the concerns that you might have had in the past about both of those guys being riverboat gamblers are, you know, diminished because of the level of play that we've seen from Myers defensively this year. And maybe he can just be sort of the conservative safety valve that allows Hughes to do what he does best. So let me throw a take at you because I think the I, I don't think you want a conservative presence with Hughes anymore, right? Like I think the Bear and Heronic experience has taught us that actually getting Hughes with someone who can facilitate, who can play riverboat gambler alongside him to some extent, is how you unlock you know, even more zone time, even more touches, even more opportunities for Quinn Hughes to make magic. Um, and, and one thing that I have sort of been tossing over in my head is when you think about needs for this team ahead of the playoffs, you know, everyone's going to talk top six center, maybe some additional penalty killing help, maybe some net front help on the power play, like all that's reasonable. But I do sort of think an insurance puck mover might be in order because – you know, I mean, if if you at any point have to play a crucial game without one of Hughes or Heronic, do you have enough speed? Do you have enough puck carriers? Do you have enough puck movement from the back end to, to hold up against a playoff forecheck? Uh, what are your thoughts on that take? And, yeah, what are your thoughts on the take? Let's leave it there. Yeah, it does make me wonder if part of this is an experiment to see right. if Myers – can can do both right like we've seen him be riverboat gambler we've seen him be aggressive sometimes at his peril in terms of timing his pinches and things like that there's been less of that in his game this year more so because of the role that he's been tasked with playing so now that he's sort of rounded out his defensive game and and you like what you've seen from him and the physicality you know you're right uh is something that an element that he's brought can he blend those two sides of his stylistic possibilities together? And it, it kind of reminds me of the conversation we were having about the Canucks coming into the season, about how we had either seen them be a solid defensive team that couldn't score right. or a team that filled the net but couldn't defend but not both. Can Tyler Myers be a guy that 
can complement Hughes offensively, can move the puck, can get up the ice, can be part of the offense while not sacrificing some of the stronger defensive elements of his game that we've seen. And now's a good time to do it because, you know, it's not the trade deadline yet, but you're getting closer with every passing day and every passing game. And these are the things that you need to figure out as an organization so that if someone like Myers cannot fill that role adequately in the event that someone like Hironic is out of the lineup, then do you have to prioritize going and getting another puck mover? And look, I, I'm, I, I like the take just because I think you can never have enough defensemen and never have enough puck-moving defensemen. It's just going to come down to priorities and cap space in terms of um, can they add both another puck mover on the back end and a top six forward because I think it's clear that the top six forward is the priority right now, and you can understand why, especially if they're going to keep the lotto line together for the long haul. Batch Demko getting the start tonight over DeSmith. Is that surprising you at all? A little bit, although um, with these final three games before the break, Tockett did commit to saying that DeSmith will get at least one of these games. Mm. And, you know, Chicago's not a good team. Columbus isn't a good team. St. Louis has struggled this year, although they beat the Canucks yeah. not too long ago. And they can finish. So, you like, St. Louis is the most dangerous yeah, by the, far. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, do you give Demko a longer break by mm. going to DeSmith against Columbus as opposed to against Chicago? Like, to me, it's it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. Like, if it was Chicago followed by Boston and Vegas, then maybe we're having a different conversation about how they manage these starts. But none of these teams that they're facing this week are world beaters, and so um, – Going back to Demko, in a spot where, and I think this was some interesting commentary from Talkit today as well, he talked about he felt maybe they got a little bit too cocky after their first period against the Maple Leafs. So you go back with your starting goaltender, you send the message to your group that you can't take any opponent lightly, whether it's the Blackhawks or the Maple Leafs or whoever it might be, mm. and maybe you get a more focused effort out of the group in front of you tonight. Yeah, well, what did you think about that? Leafs game in general like for me anyway the fact that the Canucks landed such a heavy haymaker early and then the Leafs were able to counterpunch just amplified the atmosphere like just made it a better game do, do you do you buy that the club was cocky did you see that on your call no I, I didn't think that um now Rick Tockett of course is going to microanalyze these things to yes. a much greater degree than than I will and you know he's looking for the best from his group shift in, shift out. So if anything lags, you know, that's something that he's going to focus on. But I thought we saw score effects, first of all. Um, you know, it, the Leafs were bound to have more of the pressure, more of the puck, more of the chances after the Canucks created the early lead. And I think we saw, honestly, part of the Leafs' team identity, which is that they don't necessarily start well always, but their top players can get them back into games. It happened for them earlier in the week in Calgary where they went down 2 nothing, and then Matthews scored a hat-trick and they came back and won that game. It happened for them against the Canucks in Toronto back in November where Vancouver had the strong start, and it was the Leafs that pushed back in that game. So, you know, that's kind of what I look at is that Toronto has high-end talent that can get them out of some jams that maybe other teams in the league 
wouldn't be able to get out of, but I didn't see a, a noticeable lag in the way the Canucks played. I just think the Leafs' top players started to take it to them, and it was where Vancouver kind of reverted to their structure, especially in the third period when they were protecting the lead, and it allowed them to see it across the finish line. Where are you at with Andre Kuzmenko and where his game's trending? I know, uh, you know, he's been such a flashpoint of discussion over the course of this season, but I thought the game against Toronto, just my view of it, I thought he was nearly at his best. One of his best games of the year, including that third period shift where he, you know, set up a chance, generated one of his own, although I think if it had scored, it might have been ruled a high stick. Uh, with the deflection, and then also drew the penalty for good measure. It, to me, that just felt like he was playing the sort of complete hockey that this team's been looking for. Did Do you get that same sense? Do you think he's turned a corner here? Do you see signs of it? Well, yeah, I absolutely see signs of it. I think that's the, the correct way to characterize it, because I like the way he played, you know, especially in that third period and, and that one sequence that you're alluding to. But the thing for Kuzmenko that I think is going to be more challenging, more of a struggle, might be part of the reason why the conversation around him and his future in Vancouver is where it is, is consistency or lack thereof. Because we have seen flashes of the player that we know Kuzmenko can be, both with the puck and without the puck, uh, both you know being diligent on the forecheck at times, but not doing it every time, every shift. And we hear talk it always talk about how he needs to participate in the forecheck, and, and that's something that he does at times, but not all of the time. And I think, you know, a good player to compare Kuzmenko to is Niels Hoaglander. And, you know, a little bit of a sneak peek for the, uh, the pregame interview I do with Rick Tockett that airs on the pregame show. I talked to Tockett about Hoaglander specifically and the fact that he's found more consistency in his game as opposed to early in the year where they, they weren't getting that from him. He was a healthy scratch at times. His place in the lineup was not solidified. And now you know what you get from Niels Hoaglander on a nightly basis. He's always one of the first guys in on the four check, plays with speed. He's aggressive. He can get under the skin of the opposition. And not saying that Kuzmenko needs to be exactly like Hoaglander because I think they're two very different players that can impact the game in very different ways. But until I see Kuzmenko put together a three, four, five-game stretch where he plays that way every night, every shift consistently, then I'm still going to have questions. I'm sure the organization's still going to have questions. And most importantly, the head coach is still going to have questions about you know where he fits with this team, both in the short term and the long term, because that's one thing that Tockett wants from his group above all else is predictability and consistency, and that's something that you can't say about Andre Kuzmenko, even if he has had good games or good shifts or good sequences this season. We have to tear something. So, how about this? <laughs> how about this? We all agree. We all agree that like the mega super number one tiered thing. If we're tearing Canucks needs to address at the trade deadline is top six forward of some description. You can argue about center versus wing, whatever, right? We all agree on that. But thinking about the puck-moving defenseman conversation we had in discussing the Myers pair, Myers-Hughes pair, under the radar, tier for me, under the radar needs that you'd like to see the Canucks fill um, ahead of March 8th. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, puck-moving defenseman is obviously one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, just more defensemen in general, I think, is one of them. Yep. Because as Some we insurance. know, you can never have too many defensemen. And look, they've been very lucky to be mostly healthy on the back end this year. But, you know, you look back at this season, and really the only stretch where the Canucks played, shall we say, average hockey coincided with Carson Soucy being out of the lineup with injury, but before they acquired Nikita Zadorov. So mm-hmm. now that Soucy's out of the lineup, it means you're potentially an injury away from both Noah Juleson and Mark Friedman, at least the way things are, are, are set up right now, being in the lineup on a nightly basis. So because of that, I think more insulation for potential injuries on the back end has to be a priority, whether it's a puck mover, whether it's a, another big physical guy that could fill in in the event that someone like Zadorov or Myers goes down. I think if you could get both of those things and a top six forward, um, that would be ideal. Um, and then for me, getting back to sort of the primary need, I would like it like to see it be a centerman more so than a winger. And I know mm. that's easier said than done, but I think, you know, and again, this is nitpicking a little bit because this is a, a top team in the league, but I think when they are a team that we're starting to talk about as being a contender, you kind of do need to look for any minor weaknesses that might not have been considered weaknesses in past seasons. And I do wonder if if Niels Oman as an everyday fourth-line right. centerman for this team in the playoffs is sustainable. So that's why I say if you bring in a centerman, that can play down the middle, then you either bump Oman to the wing in some role uh, or you bump him out of the lineup, and then you're looking at Miller slash Pedersen on that top line, assuming that uh, you keep them together. Your new centerman that you've acquired, let's say someone like Elias Lindholm, uh, Pugh Suter, and Teddy Bluger is your four centerman. I feel a lot more comfortable about that situation. And I also particularly like Lindholm as a target for a number of reasons. Obviously, I think he'd be a great fit with the way that he plays. Uh, the fact that, you know, he, he can be versatile in terms of where you put him in the lineup. He could play on the power play and really help you in that regard. And maybe looking at it this way is a little bit negative, but I also think that Lindholm is a, a player that you could bring in that would help insulate you beyond this season if you were to extend him in the event that talks with Elias Pettersson go south in terms of a contract. And, Mm. uh, you know, I think management shouldn't be thinking that way. They should be focusing on this season and what they can do to make this team as good as it possibly can to take a run at going on a, a deep playoff push. But that said, as I look at both the short term and maybe the longer term, a guy like Lindholm is someone that if things are going south with Patterson, if you think, you know, things are trending in the wrong direction, guess what? He's a pending unrestricted free agent that might be more amenable to signing a long-term contract here. That might be someone that could help make up for the fact that you could lose Elias Patterson going forward. But again, that's me microanalyzing this situation more so than me saying that's what management should be thinking about. They should be focused on the here and now and what they can do to improve this team. And I think Lynn Holm uh, obviously fits that description as well. So let me pick up what you just put down there, right? Because I have a column up today at The Athletic, right? And the and the 
you know, none of it, which unfortunately I've buried like in graph 32, as is my want, it <laughs> is, is that the key question in my view that you have to ask if you're Canucks management here is, will this core group have better opportunities to win available to it on its current timeline than the one ahead of it right now, right? And, you know, you think about Pedersen and Heronic expiring, some additional Pedersen uncertainty, you know, Besser's up the year after that, then Demko, then Hughes. You think about sort of the, the fact that this team's best players are in their mid-20s or late-20s or early-30s, right? You sort of put that all together, uh, the OEL buyout, all the expirings yeah. that they're getting so much value out of, and, like, I, you know, I don't know that you can really look at this team as, like, a, a team with a long, open-ended competitive horizon like this might be your best chance to win and certainly your best chance to win is coming in the next three four years I would think um given that like how can any internal uncertainty if there's any internal uncertainty whatsoever on Pedersen for me that has to impact how you approach the deadline yeah I, I think they need to go all in this year and not to say that this absolutely will be their best chance no, to definitely be not. a true contender and win a Stanley Cup, but it might be. It might be. Right? Like, all of those factors that you allude to mean that you have to realistically look at this season and say, and I'm going to sort of bring this back to something Jim Rutherford said at the start of this season, if this is not going to be your best season in terms of a chance to win the Stanley Cup and be a contender – Everything has to go right. Like, Pedersen has to come back and, and the extension has to make sense for the organization. Uh, they have to find a way to lock up some of their depth players that have made a difference for them. The salary cap has to go up enough that it kind of offsets any pain that you might see from the OEL buyout. Uh, lots of the – you have to stay healthy, right? They've been very healthy this year, and we know with Canucks teams in seasons past, health is not guaranteed, right? There's so many factors – that lead you to think that this certainly could be their best chance to be a contender this year, that you absolutely have to go all in. And as I've said before, and I think we talked about this last week when I was on with you and Jamie, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Like, you may have better contention seasons, and, you know, that is a possibility, but it's not a possibility I would want to bet on. The one thing you do know is that this team has performed to a very high level this season. They are a legitimate contender right now. And because so many parts of the future remain uncertain, and so many parts of that future are not directly within the organization's control in terms of external factors like the salary cap, like Pedersen and what he wants to do going forward, you have to strike while the iron's hot. You have to do it now. And so with every passing week, I'm more and more convinced that this organization needs to be as aggressive as is humanly possible in their approach to the trade deadline this year. And the good news for Canuck fans when looking at it from that perspective is you have maybe one of the most ag aggressive executives mm. in NHL history and Jim Rutherford uh, at the helm here. So I think there's a good chance that we see exactly that from this organization because it wouldn't surprise me at all if they have assessed the the situation that they're in 
in in a similar manner. And again, it to me, it doesn't necessarily mean that their contention window slams shut after this year. It doesn't mean that they couldn't have better years to contend. But what you do know now is that they have an excellent chance to contend, and I would like to see them take advantage of it if they possibly can. Batch, thanks for your time. Appreciate it, bud. Always great to chat with you. Always great to have you on. We'll see you at the rink this week. Sounds good. Have a good one. Thanks, Trancer. That's Brendan Batchelor, the voice of the Canucks. Of course, he'll have the call from tonight's game. Vancouver hosts the Chicago Blackhawks. You'll be able to hear that live in addition to our pregame show, Puck Drop, at 7.07 p.m. We'll be back on the other side. Mark Lazarus, my athletic colleague, covers the Chicago Blackhawks. He'll talk about the slog of a season and how much that team misses North Van superstar Connor Bedard. On the other side, you're listening to Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk. We'll be setting up the Canucks game. They host the Chicago Blackhawks this evening with my colleague at The Athletic, Mark Lazarus. He'll join us shortly. First, I want to tell you about Avenue Machinery. Avenue Machinery and... First of all, Avenue Machinery, Douglas Lake Equipment. Our fine sponsors, huge Canucks fans, be a champion on the worksite. You can find them together at dleamc.com. They're our presenting sponsor. Coming to you live, of course, from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. They support us and they can support you. Writing my own scripts here, Dom. Powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet? What are you waiting for? And, of course, if you want to chime in, chat with us use the 650 650 dumbbar lumber text line dumbbar dumbbar lumber with three stores to serve you in ladner on bridge street in dumbbar um excuse me uh, in ladner on bridge street dumbbar lumber express at ladner center or on arbutus which is in dumbbar in vancouver you can visit them online as well at dumbbarlumber.com man nailed those reads whoo <laughs> okay, good. Let's uh let's get bring in Mark Lazarus, my athletic colleague, to discuss all things Chicago Blackhawks. Mark tonight should have been a, a pretty special one with Connor Bedard playing his first NHL game in his hometown. We're gonna miss him. How much do you miss watching him right now? Well, yeah, there's not a whole lot else going on here <laughs> in Blackhawks land. Um it's 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 been different without him. You know, when, when Connor Bedard was playing early on, it didn't really matter that the Blackhawks were losing because you had something that you could kind of cling to every night, right? You could A great play that he made, a great pass that he made that nobody was ready to receive because his line mates weren't just really up to his par. Uh, there was something there every night. And without him, it's been, wow. Like, like, it, and it's not just him, right? They, Seth Jones was out for a while. Nick Foligno was out for a while. They had eight or nine guys out at one time. Uh, and you had a whole bunch of AHL guys and journeyman stop gaps that they claimed off waivers. I mean, it was a pretty uh, meager-looking bunch that they had up there for a while. They're starting to get a little healthy, but without Bedard, uh, this is just last year all over again, right? It's just biding time until the draft lottery. We've been through those seasons in this market, Mark. They're not a ton of fun. 
Um, as the as the Blackhawks have sort of looked to like just to just to try and find something that's interesting to people uh, about the Canucks <laughs> opponent tonight. You know, welcome to my drive, my job, Dre. Yeah, no, I know. It's like, how can we tie in the Blackhawks' decisions this uh, trade deadline to the Bears with Justin Fields? You got an angle yet? <laughs> if I could get Justin Fields in a headline, I would do it every single day. <laughs> every day. That, that's that's the worst part about this. Like last year, you know, we started milking Kane and Taze in like late November, right. About the, the the trade deadline this year, they're not going to do anything at the trade deadline. You know, they've yeah. re-signed Nick Foligno and Jason Dickinson. They're two most, you know, tradable guys. And, you know, maybe Tyler Johnson gets traded for a fourth-round pick. But, you know, there's not really a lot. They're, they're, they're not tanking this year. They're just starting over this year. So the guys they have are guys they want. And they don't really have other guys that other teams would want. So this is going to be a very quiet trade deadline for the Blackhawks. Yeah, interesting. The So in terms of what we'll see tonight, two guys that have caught my attention positively – with the Chicago Blackhawks, despite really tough circumstances. Um, Vlasic, the defenseman, and uh, drafted just a couple spots after Niels Hoaglander, uh, the Canucks' fourth liner who's been crushing it for this team. Um, he's been holding up pretty well in tough minutes, and then Korchinski looks to me like a player, even if some of the defensive environment, especially given how, how few skilled players there are to, to sort of uh, elevate his game there are in Chicago at the moment those two guys uh is, is that sort of what you're looking at in terms of silver linings I suppose Alex Vlasic's been an absolute revelation like yes. if you're a Blackhawks fan this year beyond Bedard that's the guy you're really excited about right because he wasn't supposed to be this guy mm-hmm. he had brief stints the last two years and you're like all right he's big he's six foot six he's rangy uh this guy could be a third pairing guy potentially down the road I mean now he looks like Nicholas Jalmerson like Jalmerson he looks that uh, that sound defensively, and his puck skills are way better than we thought they were going to be. He's a really good skater for someone his size. He's starting to find a little offense. He has been by far the most reliable Blackhawks defenseman this year, and nobody really saw that coming. So that's a huge bonus. Like whatever's going on with Lucas Reichel, the other first round pick who's been taking a big step back this year, you know, Vlasic's leap has kind of offset that in some ways. As for Korchinski, um, you know, he was advertised as this really super exciting offensive minded defenseman. Uh, he hasn't really been that this year. You see glimpses of it, but I think we, we've seen this before, right? You know, it happened with Adam Boquist with the Blackhawks, where you bring in a right. teenage defenseman, and they're so concerned about not looking foolish defensively that they kind of forget to play offense. Mm. And I think we're seeing, like, like Korchinski's been pretty sound defensively, which has been positive, but we haven't seen the dynamic play uh, uh, offensively. And I think that's going to come with time, where once he realizes, okay, I can, ha- I can hang in this league, that's when the skating will come in. That's when the more aggressive passing and shooting will start. I'm curious to get your big picture thoughts on what the Blackhawks are doing here because when they launched this rebuild, you know, I, I was like the only person in hockey that really liked the Debrinket trade, or the only person covering hockey that really liked the Debrinket trade from Chicago's perspective. Um, I well, thought that's the Korchinski trade—that's who they got. For right, it was Korchinski. So. Right, and and they and they ducked, you know, the arbitration case, which I thought was was wise. Like I think people just underrated the downside uh, to Ottawa making that bet when they did. Um, the overall thrust of it though, you know, I I thought was smart, you know, the Zaitsev trade to weaponize cap space, um, bringing in some vets, but I'm, I'm getting a little confused now that they've handed out like big extensions to guys like Foligno and Dickinson, as opposed to dealing those guys for whatever you could get and then coming to them with those offers 
in five months. Like, surely. That you know, never you, happens, though. That never happens. We always say, oh, they could trade him and then sign him in the offseason. Well, How often do you see that actually happen? Just Keith Kachuk, who did it like every season, it feels like, for <laughs> a few years. But no, I mean, you're right. Like, we don't see it very so frequently. Here's the thing. You need to have someone who's not 12 years old on this team, right? <laughs> you need to have some veterans that can kind of be the leaders. When they, when they kicked Taze and Kane to the curb, basically, they needed someone else to come in and kind of take those mm-hmm. roles. And that's what Nick Foligno and Jason Dickinson have done. And Jason Dickinson, I know it, was, it ended real bad in Vancouver for him. And, yeah, know, he's he played well. His teeth and you, you mentioned the word Vancouver around him, and he starts gritting his teeth. But <laughs> he has been really good, and he's, he's only 28 years old. Yeah. Like, he's not that, you know, Foligno is basically the captain of this team, right? Like, by giving him a two-year deal, it allows them to kind of, you know, they'll probably put a C on him next year, and that gives Bedard a couple of years before he's got to wear it, right? Like, that's, that's a logical thing. Uh, Dickinson's been really good on and off the ice. He's a really good guy. Everybody in the room respects him. So that gives you kind of a second, you know, pillar to, to work around. And they're two-year deals. The Blackhawks are not going to be a cap team these next two years. Right. They have so much cap space, it's ridiculous. And how many third and fourth round picks do you really need? This is a team that has too many first and second round picks right now. There's a legitimate <laughs> concern that they're going to have too many contracts kind of coming to fruition, entry-level mm. deals ending two or three years from now. You can't have 17 first-round picks. It's, it's almost too much. Right. So they don't really need more mid-round picks at this point. They just need credible NHLers. Um, so- and, that's what, and that's exactly what Nick Foligno and Jason Dickens are. They are credible NHLers. That can, they're, they're good pros. They can show these young kids the way. They're, they're doing everything that they need them to do, and they're the two best quotes on the team. Don't you dare take them from me. I don't have much. <laughs> yes, okay, fair. The <laughs> Yeah, the Dickinson thing is unbelievable, right? Because he was exactly what he's been for Chicago, like a reliable bottom six, versatile depth guy who crushes it on the PK, can chip in a bit of offense, you know, is like rangy and can hold up in tough minutes. Like he did it against the Braden point line in the Stanley Cup final. He gets acquired by the Vancouver Canucks. He's almost unplayable for one year. There's some injury stuff. There's obviously a ton of off-ice drama. And then he goes to Chicago and is exactly the player that he was prior to coming to Vancouver immediately. Like, it wasn't like it took a week to ramp up even. He was just like, all right, that's who Jason Dickinson has always been aside from his... And then this year, now all of a sudden he's a 25-goal guy. Right. What, what what's going on? Like how how? Well, I, uh, look, I, 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 we all know that Vancouver is cursed in like thirty seven different ways. I get it. And, <laughs> and, you know, this, this year is very alarming how good they are. But and you're all waiting for the other shoe to drop. I don't know. I, I don't know what happened exactly in Vancouver. Uh, a lot of it's just opportunity, right? Like he didn't yeah. got he didn't get the opportunity in Dallas. He was a known commodity who got used in a certain way. He goes to Vancouver and they weren't using him properly. They weren't using him much at all. Mm-hmm. And it's really difficult for a guy to get traction when he's not playing regularly. He comes to Chicago, and he's immediately a solid everyday third liner. This year, he's getting top six minutes because he's the best player on the team, not named Connor Bedard. So all of a sudden, he's getting more minutes. He's getting more confidence. He sees a few pucks go in, so all of a sudden, he's shooting more because it's starting to go in. Yeah, I mean, is it sustainable exactly, the pace he's scoring at? Probably not. But it doesn't feel fluky either. He's a really solid player plays the game the right way, he works hard, he creates for his, his, his line mates, whoever's on his line. Like He's made Joey Anderson really good, he's made Nick Foligno really good, uh, he's making Colin Blackwell really good, and then some of that goes both ways. But Dickinson's been the one constant this year where everyone who's played with him has played better than they played without him. With So just to come back quickly to the big picture rebuild stuff, 
do you think we'll see the Blackhawks like facilitate some deals here at least? Like, are we going to see them do another Zaitsev type deal? Are we going to see them try and take, you know, a salaried player? I mean, you look at Vancouver, for example, this is a team that's going to be aggressive. They're going to need to reallocate salary. We've already seen them do that Beauvillier swap uh, in that vein, although Beauvillier immediately got injured, unfortunately, for the Blackhawks. That's just kind of how their season's gone. Um, is that something to look for, something to watch for? Are, are the Blackhawks a good salary uh, clearinghouse option for, for teams of uh, buy, buyers, like fans of buying teams to consider? Absolutely, and they could be a third party. They could be a money launderer between teams on a trade. I mean, you look at look at the three times they've done this. They got you. Vancouver gave them a second round pick to take Jason Dickinson yep. off their hands. So Jason Dickinson, their second best forward. Peter Morazic, their goalie. That was that was them right. just taking a, 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 a salary from Toronto and getting a pick out of it. Morazic's been very very good, and they're going to sign him probably to a two year extension any day now because they need a veteran to kind of wait for their to, to buy Arvid Soderblom and Drew Camesso some time. So he's been very good. And then the third guy is Nikita Zaitsev, who was horrendous last year, but he's been pretty solid this year. He's been a, a perfectly serviceable everyday defenseman this year. And it's an, again, they just they, they, if you can if they can get a serviceable NHLer that can fill a role for them while they're biding their time on their prospects, they're happy to take that money off your hands because you know it's difficult for them to even get to the cap floor. That's why they gave Corey Perry four million dollars and Nick Foligno four million dollars. And that's why Dickinson and, and Felino just got extensions that they wouldn't get anywhere else, $4.5 million each, basically, because the Hawks have to get to the cap floor somehow. So they are happy to take you know, your teeming refuge uh, to, to, you know, at the shore here. <laughs> they, will, they will be your Lady Liberty, and they'll charge you for it. Um, is there any Macklin Celebrini buzz in Chicago, or is it all Caleb Williams and, and still the afterglow of Bedard and we can't possibly be doing this for a second year in a row. Like, is it muted? Well, certainly Blackhawks fans are dreaming of having Celebrini as their number two center. Absolutely. Um, if it happens, I'm sure every other market in the NHL will be very happy for Chicago. Always They'll are. be glad that, you know, an important market is getting star players and nobody <laughs> will resent it at all. Uh, it, it would be funny if this next iteration of the Blackhawks, though, is powered by two guys who were Canucks fans growing up. I th I, there's oh, a there's a, a certain cruelty. If to they that. win the lottery again, it would be objectively hilarious. Like that's the like I don't care one way or the other, but it would be objectively hilarious. Yeah, I don't want to see it. No one wants to see it. Um, <laughs> you're right though; it would be funny. Hey, and then I want to ask about we saw over the well officially today, Corey Perry uh, signs with the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, what's your reaction to him signing? You know, so quickly and with so little disclosure after his you know, unacceptable conduct termination in Chicago, Mark? You know, it, it's hard for me to talk about because, you know, we're still reporting the story and, yep. and we, the whole story is not out there yet. Um, I'm not really surprised because it's the NHL and we've seen this many times before. What I really want to know is how much do the Oilers really know about what happened? Mm. Because there are still, you know, friends of Perry's and teammates of Perry's that don't know what happened, that right. legitimately don't know what happened. And so, you know, I'm sure they did some due diligence, but how much did they really do? Uh, the Oilers seem to be a team that's willing to do this, right? They've done it before with Evander Kane. Uh, th this is a team that's willing to, you know, sign guys like this. If they get a guy in their head that they want, they're going to do it regardless. And it might work out great. Everybody loved <laughs> Corey Perry. His brief time in Chicago, his teammates raved about him. They thought he was great, and he was, and he was a productive player. He can't really skate anymore, but he's really good at standing in front of the net and finding pucks, which is maybe a thing that the Oilers need on their fourth line. Uh, but I just, I'm just curious, you know, where we all are very cynical about the NHL and 
the standards that are held. And, you know, we all know that the Blackhawks have a different standard right now, like, right? Like, no matter what happens, you know, they have to hold pl- employees to a different standard than other teams right now because of what happened to Kyle Beach. Um, maybe what Corey Perry did wouldn't have gotten them kicked off any other team. It's distinctly possible. But the fact that Edmonton is so, you know, quick to do this and happy to do this, I just want, I want to know how much they know. Because, you know, I have a very cynical view of this league and its standards these days. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. Mark, thank you for this. We'll all look forward to watching the Canucks minus 450 favorites, man. That's wild. That's like... That's like every game here. I swear. It's, it's Like, I'm not a gambling type, but I usually roll my eyes every time I see the odds. But it is remarkable how big of an underdog the Blackhawks are literally every single game. I, 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 Genuinely, this is like mid-table side versus relegation striver in the EPL. This is, you know, Marquette versus the University of North Chicago. Like, this is – minus 450 is unheard of. I don't think the Canucks and, have been this no, heavily no favored Canucks in years. Fans, as I do, I'm sure they're all assuming this is a trap game they're going to lose. Um, nah, you know, it's, it's very strange, Mark. Like, I think – Is there the, optimism in Vancouver? There's optimism in Vancouver. I, I honestly no. don't – yeah. It, for now. I mean, it'll change come playoff time, but right now, I think there's people are ready to be heard again. And in fact, I don't even get I think the I usual read in the sense. Bible that that's one of the signs of the apocalypse. There's like you know pestilence and death and optimism in Vancouver. Yeah, I don't even get the sense that fans are like bracing, you know, which wow. is very very unusual for this group. Wow, that's gonna that's gonna end badly, isn't it? <laughs> maybe maybe with a field goal wide into the right. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks, bud. Appreciate it. Anytime, bud. Mark Lazarus talking about the Chicago Blackhawks, talking about Corey Perry, talking about the mystery that is Jason Dickinson's completely random struggles in a Vancouver uniform only to find his redemption in, in short order once he moved to Chicago. Um, let's uh, let's hear from Rick Tockett from the Canucks game day skate. Then we'll go to break. We've got one more super friend uh, on the other side. Yeah, he's going to probably be out five to six weeks. Yeah, it's a tough break for him, and he just can't get a break. Um, but, yeah, so that's that's a time frame. I guess uh, you said it was difficult taking Noah out of the lineup. This is the opportunity for him to jump right back in? Yeah, I mean, that's why it's so important to have D-depth. And like I said, you know, he was out when really he could have still been playing for us. So, um, what I love about him, he's ready to go. Like he works hard in practice. That's why it's important that you you have you have character guys like that that uh, they're team guys and he'll be ready. So and um, yeah, he's played well for us. So I'm not I'm not concerned about uh, Noah. Rick, you've been very fortunate. Uh, you know, a lot of bounces have gone this yeah. hockey team's way because you've worked very hard for them. But also on the injury front, aside from Carson, do you look at that and and see the way things are going for you? Yeah, we've we've caught some breaks. Yeah, we've had some few injuries here and there. You know, Teddy at the beginning of the year and stuff, but fairly, you know, knock on wood. Yeah, and you know, some teams go through those stretches where they get a lot of injuries. We've been lucky, you know, and uh, like I said, uh, hopefully we can stay in good health. Um, it helps your depth. Three to go before the All Star game. Are you going to start Thatcher tonight? And what's your yeah. plans the rest of the way? Uh, Thatcher tonight, and uh, you know, Casey's going to get in. You know, uh, whether it's the next game or the game after, he's definitely going to get in. But yeah. That's like the conch, right? The it's the, it's the power. Hanger. Morning, Rick. Uh, Susie, uh, Carson Susie didn't play the third period. It uh, looked like a hand. Do you know the nature of the injury? 
<clears throat> well, he blocked a shot, yeah. basically. Upper, whatever, you know. Lower. I, mean, I hate this. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Mike Yeltsin. Yeah, it depends. Yeah, 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 right. Susie was a good part of your PK that's on quite a heater, Rick. Uh, you've gone, I think, 44 for 50 in your last 18 games, 12 <clears throat> clean sheets. Uh, Yao's a big part of it. Uh, what's he doing well? Um, for, for you talking about Seuss or the, in general? Yeah, what's Yao done? Seuss done well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, we've changed a few things. Um, and, um, Yosi's really big on the details of it. Like, we, we've had better sticks. We've had better clears. I think in PK's, I don't think we're that great with our clears the first 20, 30 games, and it really affects your team. That 30 seconds when you dump it out is huge. And we're actually pretty good on our PK uh, forecheck when it comes to um, getting up ice and, and, or holding the blue. But when they keep it in, that's that extra 30. And if you add that up, a lot of ozone time. So I really think we've cleaned up those two things for me. Good sticks. Uh, the structure's been the same, but I think it's just the details of the PK. One more from me. Uh, this market was jumping with the prospect of Connor Bedard playing here tonight. Of course, he's got yeah. the fractured jaw. You guys had the game in there. He set up two goals, and talking to some of the defensemen this morning, uh, they were so amazed at his swiftness, hard to defend, the release. What did you see that night? Yeah, I'm not trying to compare him to Matthews, but they got the same thing when they come in the zone where they can find their shot. You know, they, they somehow they can get to the middle. Yeah, yeah, the high stick. Um, and you know, like Matthews, and he, he just can get a shot off so quick. So, if somebody makes a mistake or somebody overplays somebody, they can somehow get to the middle with the puck and shoot that puck. And he's elite at that. And um, you know, he's just going to get better and better. Rick, you guys have been pretty good about focusing on your own process as opposed to your opponents. Yeah. But obviously, the Blackhawks are struggling; they're banged up. This is what you normally call a trap <clears throat> game. Do you address that with your team at all? Yeah, I, 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 I would be more concerned. If we didn't have the second period we did against the Leafs, um, maybe a little too cocky. I, I think we got a little humble pie up that second period with Toronto, so that, that gives us our, our, our antennas up. Um, I've watched the Hawks play. Luke Rich, I'm a big fan of Luke Richardson. His work. He's had, they've dealt with a million injuries. You know, I don't even have the guys sometimes in the lineup because they're coming up for the minors. But the one common denominator is they work hard. They, they play a lot of 2-1 hockey games. And... Uh, I mean, that, there, there should be no reason to, to think we're anybody in the f- fact that I don't care if we're in first place or not. I think that second period just kind of woke us up a little bit. Hey, we got to be ready to play. That's what I think. A lot of guys we've talked That's Rick Tockett discussing his admiration for the Blackhawks' work ethic, why he thinks the club's antenna will be up, and also the club's relative injury fortune over the course of the season, uh, which is a really interesting one. You know, I, I, there are some websites out there that track man games lost in between injuries to Pew Suter, Carson Soucy, Teddy Bluger, um, you know, even guys like Guillaume Brisebois, Phil DiGiuseppe. I mean, this Canucks team's about middle of the pack in the league in terms of man games lost as sort of a raw number, where Vancouver's injury luck has come into question, and, and it has without without doubt, is... When you get to the value of the players that they've missed. Now, Bluger, Suter, Susie have all been valuable, but you, you know, lots of NHL teams lose. Uh, the team tonight is without going to be without guys like Bedard and, and Taylor Hall. You, you go look at the 
New Jersey Devils or the Las Vegas Golden Knights or, or you know, any of those teams that have lost, like, star players. The, the Florida Panthers opened the season and played six weeks of hockey without Montour and Ekblad. Um, if you look at it based on, like, the evolving hockey, like, weighted to the evolving hockey wins over replacement stat, which is by no means perfect. I'm not a big fan of all-in-one numbers, except as, you know, blunt instruments for something like this. Uh, the Canucks rank 31st in the NHL in terms of the value of the man games that they've lost injury. That has been, for me, not a major part of the story, but certainly a footnote on this club's meteoric success this season. And to come back to that defenseman discussion, that additional insurance depth defenseman discussion uh, that we were having with Batch in the last segment, you know, you, you think about 94, like, this team loses Brian Glynn and Dana Merzins drafted in plays, you know, the Stanley Cup final. You think about 2011, where the defensive injuries got so significant, right, that the team ends up calling Nolan Baumgartner on the beach to come up. I mean, Andrew Alberts gets hurt. Ballard, like they, they went through 10 or 11 defensemen over the course of their run to the Stanley Cup final. And by the end of it, you know, Alex Edler could barely hold a stick and Erhoff's shoulder was a mess and on and on down the line, uh, Hamhuis gets hurt. I mean, it just, it can be, especially if you play two and a half months of playoff hockey, an, an absolute war of attrition. Um, to this point, Vancouver's been one of the healthiest teams in the league in terms of the value of their man games lost, and it's definitely helped power them to this spectacular regular season success through 46 games. All right, back on the other side, Kevin Woodley. Our guy will help us conclude the show. We'll talk goalies because uh, we definitely saw some interesting goalie performances at Rogers Arena on Saturday night. We'll talk all things Canucks. We'll talk deadline. You're listening to Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People Show with Big Nizar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk. One segment remaining. I'm Thomas Strance, and I'm coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provide, provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? If you have any questions you want to get at me or Kevin Woodley, our upcoming guest about, you can use the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber, with three stores to serve you. In Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver, visit them online at DunbarLumber.com. And of course, we're about to bring Woodley, the great goalie whisperer, on to the program. Woodley is a presentation of White Rock Hyundai, and I can't wait to speak with him. We're just going to get him on the line here shortly, but yeah, a presentation of White Rock Hyundai for you to look forward to. And we've got him. Woodley's on the line. Kevin, thanks for doing this. How are you? I'm literally walking back to the press box because I was walking over to 
the broadcast gondola, just assuming you'd be here with me. We like to do these in person. On yeah. Day, well, I, I, you know what? I intended to be there and do it with you in person, but given that it's a one man show, I figured, Hey, you know what? Maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll just do it at the studio, make it easier on, on everybody on our end. Um, how was it? Give me the sights and sounds from the skate. What did you notice uh, about the goalies for the Blackhawks? Cause I know you always watch that very attentively as well. Uh, well, I mean, today's a bit of a different day because uh, the the news of the day required a little more writing than I would normally do on a game day. Mm. So in addition to um, Carson Soucy news, obviously, uh, the Blackhawks have Nick Foligno coming back from the broken finger that he sustained sort of in defense of Connor Bedard. Uh, they're going to healthy scratch Lucas Reichel um, as well as Cole Gutman tonight. And it looks like they get Donato... And Felino back, so news galore uh, mm. out of today's morning skate. And that I didn't get to watch a ton of Peter Morazic. You know what? Like a 906 on that team is pretty good. Uh, the the good news, if you're the Canucks, is he's been better at home than he has away, according to those who watch him on a sort of daily basis. But for a team without much expectations, for a team that um, plays hard but you know is still learning some lessons. Interestingly enough, Felino talked about them as lessons that he's seen the Canucks learn under Rick Tockett, you know, high end high skill guys that need to learn how to play the quote unquote right way and take care of the little details of the game. Um, they lean heavily on goaltending and, and Peter Morazic has been good. Like he's Morazic's always been a guy that he's got acrobat in him, right? Like if you need sensational, if you need him sprawling across the crease, like he's quick, he's athletic, he's fast. He's capable of stealing games. What's always been the question is on a good team. And this is a question you know, that the Blackhawks will have to figure out too once they get to that point. Can he be a guy on a good team where you just need steady? Or do some of the extra moving parts that come with his game uh, hurt you when he's not as busy and maybe all the highlight reel saves, the, the 10 bell attempts that he stops are offset by bad goals when he isn't busy or not seeing as much rubber. So um, the good news if you're the Blackhawks is that hasn't been the case this year, and he's been really good for them and wouldn't be surprised if that continues tonight against Vancouver. So almost like a, a Jacob Markstrom light situation for, for Morazic? Yeah, I guess to an extent. I mean, I, actually, you could probably say Jacob Markstrom, Thatcher Demko, when they were here sort of yeah, under previous regimes, right? Like, stop bulleting your teeth, guys. We need you to go out there and be Superman to have a chance to win. And you know, we talked about that adjustment when Markstrom went to Calgary, especially under Sutter. Um, he's back to stopping bullets in his teeth now um, as their defensive play is sort of loosened. But under Sutter, like, that was an adjustment for him. And if you've never done it before, like, you know, for Jacob, it, was, it wasn't a question of could he, it's just how much time would it take. And I thought he adjusted really well. Some goalies never do, right? Like, there are guys, and, and I hate to do this, but he's kind of the poster child for it, Curtis Joseph, mm. right? Like, as much as he has, has numbers, especially on the win side, that arguably should, you know, have him in that Hall of Fame conversation, not to spark a debate on that, but, you know, you, he was great if he needed a sub-70 for the Oilers. Put him behind a loaded Red Wings team where I would walk into the room and, you know, the forward wall was future Hall of Famers, the defensive wall was future Hall of Famers, and he wasn't busy he didn't have all those shots to sort of maintain that rhythm and that timing that his style of play required he wasn't as good he was never the same Curtis Joseph behind that type of team so he's sort of an extreme example but he's one that it's easy to go to it's sort of like this is 
it, it's counterintuitive because they're, ah, hey, less shots is better for a goalie. Not for every goalie is the reality. Yeah. The last week when we were chatting about the Canucks coming off that spectacular road trip, you'd notice some slippage in their defensive game. Um, looked to me like that got hammered out in a major way on home ice. What did you see? Yeah, no, um, I mean, you know, against a team in Toronto that can create chances with the best of them. Yeah, um, I mean, they've they got were, goals, but I don't know that they got great chances. No, no, but that's what I mean. They, did, they didn't get them. That's yeah. what I mean. Like, like, they're a team that can create that and can open you up, and they mm. didn't, right? Like, I think that got them at six high-danger chances for the entire game, right. despite that ending up being, you know, a 6-4, more goals than you'd expect game. Um, they were good, and, and this, is, this is something to keep an eye on, and, and it's sort of, again, to sort of go back to this, I mean, Nick Foligno's great. We ended up having a longer conversation about the state of the game and how you get all this young talent coming in and how it takes time for them to realize there are other things you have to do besides score, and it, it was such an interesting conversation in light of what's happened here in Vancouver, and the question becomes, like, can you get them? Rick Tockett was open about the play flipping of his top line when he was asked about it today over the past you know, I think he said four or five games. Um, it, it's hard to sort of maintain. It's not just defensive focus. It's, it's you know, for, for lack of a better sort of analogy, like, like it's pool, playing pool. It's not what you take, it's what you leave. And, you know, the turnovers at the offensive, trying to force things offensively, leading to odd man rushes. It's all like, it's all about odd man rushes. And that's not just about how you defend as a unit. That's about what you give up. What risks are you willing to take and when? And do they bite you in the ass because they are too high risk? They are across a blue line, um, you know, side to side that somebody intercepts and goes the other way. Like we saw the, the sort of rush chances against start to creep up here, sort of starting in mid-December and then really the first couple of weeks of January. And they were asking the goalies to bail it out a little more. That's a number I think you got to pay attention to as this season goes on. Cause that's a number that tends to, you know, directly affect whether you have playoff success or not. Like, that's the number that the Oilers mm. have turned around the most from 32nd to 2nd when it comes to giving up stuff off the rush, you know, since December 1st. Uh, and so that's something that I think you have to keep watching closely with this group, and probably even more so without Carson Soucy. Right. Because as much as Soucy, um, we recognize the value add he brings to the PK, and I think they're you know, three on 25 in the eight games he was back, which just happens to coincide with a 7-0-1 run. Um, there's also that sort of quick stick and that, that the length of that stick and his ability to sort of use it to break up plays off the rush, like yeah. something he was so good at in Seattle, right? So His squeezes um, too, like his position, um, you know, surfing, squeezing at the, at the defensive blue, like he's high end, one of the best. Right, and, and listen – you know, you talk to the defenseman, that's easier when there's back pressure, right? Like your gaps are better. It's easy to make those reads and those decisions when that back pressure exists, as it did in Seattle all last year, Mm -hmm. as it has for the most part this year. But as it slipped here in the last couple of weeks, and now you miss him too, like, again, things, not not even things that you're worried about, just more things to keep an eye on. Because it's hard to have, it's hard to play that hard defensively all 82. It's hard to have that discipline not to try and get overly creative at the risk of odd man rushes for all 82. Like there's going to be slippage. It's not going to be perfect. The question is, you know, you want that focus, that posture as you head into the postseason. And as we wind into the second half here, so much of this is about a, not losing those habits completely 
And B, if they do slip, making sure you get them back in time for the playoffs. Because as Talkett also said today, you can't just flip a switch. Like these are habits you build now and need to maintain. And so as we've seen them slip ever so slightly over the past couple of weeks, you add, you know, losing Susie to that. And it's just something that's worth watching closely in the coming months. The publicly available expected goals stuff has the Canucks as like a top five defensive team since Susie returned. Now, I know that's not as granular as a lot of what you're looking at in evaluating goaltenders, but um, does that it, does that have zero relationship with some of the clear sight data, with some of the other stuff you're looking at, or, or does that capture how much less Vancouver's surrendering here of late? Well, I just got victimized by the Rogers Arena Wi-Fi, which we know um, can be a little hit or miss at times, um, <laughs> despite the name on the building. So I'm going to take my shot there. Um, you know what? Uh, like I said, like to me, thinking that's January 6th, the last time I ran the numbers again, it was the rush stuff that had started to slip around January 1st. So not all of that is with Susie back, um, but that's kind of – you know, those were the timelines. From December 15th on, it went from being top five to top ten. And then from, you know, January 1st on, we're talking into sort of the mid-teens. Again, uh, not terrible, but for a team that has been top five sort of Rick, since Rick Tockett took over, um, slippage worth noting. And again, in particular, like, it's reflected mostly on the rush. Like, that's where you give up those, your overall numbers are going to slip. And so... As I talk my way through getting back on Wi-Fi and, and, and sort of sorting that, yeah, since, since January 1st, or let's go since January 6th when Susie came back, yep. um, you know, the, the rush actually is, is – so that December to, to him coming back, the rush had slipped. It's gotten better since he's been back. Overall, they're sick. So, yeah. so now that less. he's out, right now that he's out, do we see that slippage return that we mm. were seeing sort of – through mid-December into the first week of January without him, where they were dropping more around that 19th level off the rush as opposed to what we're seeing right now since he came back. I'm really curious to see that in particular, um, Kevin, just because, you know, this team has been so healthy outside of, you know, a couple of Susie injuries. And, right. you know, I, I'm, I mean, it would be a significant uh, or it's a significant thing to track here, too, because we know how injuries multiply, right, over the course of um, heavy games come playoff time. We've seen the history of this team in the playoffs. Uh, you know, rip, like the, the Sammy Sallow balls of steel moment is, like, mostly memorable because, uh, well, for a lot of reasons, mostly that Sammy Sallow is a stone-cold badass, but also because, you know, you, you lost – Sallow and, and you lost Edler and Shane O'Brien's playing top pair minutes and it was kind of fait accompli, right? Like we all kind of could see it coming and then 2011 you have the Nolan Baumgartner thing. Um, how much will it matter to you to see how the Canucks fare defensively in Susie's absence and how interested are you to see this new split up uh, Heronic Hughes formation in the Canucks top four tonight? Yeah, that's the part that I'm curious about and see yeah. how this all sort of balances out, right? Um, I... I, am I curious? Yeah, absolutely. For all the reasons we just discussed, like as we sort through these numbers even more granularly, like 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 instead of me just randomly looking at January first, but but going and sorting it for January sixth when he returned and watching how much better the rush is since then compared to that period when he was out, um, it sort of reinforces why they got him right. 
And same thing for the penalty kill. Um, it sort of helps to reinforce it. Like, yeah, the things we saw from this guy in Seattle, and I know you like me, like I covered that playoff run yep. for, for the Kraken last year, and I know these are things you noted about his game. And so for anyone who, you know, a lot of the tension is, oh, like he was their big offseason signing and still modest salary, but the only guy who got term this offseason. Yep. And, you know, could he play above a third pair? He hasn't really had to, right? Like, yep. and, and so all these metrics, how he impacts a team in a positive environment, like as we dig into this and the eye test matches the numbers and you talk about pinching off uh, rushes at the right spot and I look at the rush chances like decrease significantly when he's in there, like, this all adds up, and it's fun to watch. Uh, do I worry about it? I mean, if other guys go down, yes. You know, I think it's no coincidence that they, you know, sort of that win one, lose one stretch they went on probably coincides with losing him. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think you worry too much about it right now because of the timing, right? Like you've, you've got your week break. You've got your all-star break. Yeah, five to six weeks is daunting, but there's still enough runway when he returns, whether it's late February or early March for him to get back up to speed. And because we know it's you know, I reported that he took a puck off the hand. So we know it's, we, it's not an issue. It's not an issue. Unlike his last one mm-hmm. where blocking the shot off the foot, like he, I remember seeing him in a walking boot yep. not long before he returned. So you can't skate. Now he's going to be able to maintain a lot of that. So yes, you're concerned that one begets another. And what happens if one becomes two or three injuries on the back end? But they've shown they've got the depth. They went out and got Zadorov. I think that's where they got killed when Susie was out last time pre-Zadorov acquisition. Anytime Ian Cole took a penalty, who was playing the left side of your power, your yeah. penalty kill? Right? Like, so Susie's out and Cole's in the box. What do you do now? Um, so they've got more depth there. Uh, and the fact he's going to be back in time and probably able to skate through much of this makes me a little less concerned about this injury and more just, like I said, curious to see what the impacts are and to see how they, how Adam Foote and Rick Tockett can sort of sort out the remaining defensemen to make sure you're getting the most out of them. Notes on the goaltending on Saturday. Because realistically, that might have been a 3-2 game that got, um, you know, a little bit tipsy with the environment. You know, the only, you know, the only non-high danger chance that the Canucks scored on was Garland's late in the second period. Right. You know, those are the the rest of them are all go down as high danger on Jones, and I know they don't all look pretty, um, but but that's the reality of it. Oh, I thought they and all it, looked it, pretty. That like Holglander wrist shot was nails. That was deadly, yeah, and that's a, and, and I was surprised. I thought that might be a mid or a low, but that yeah, ends up going down as a high chance two. goal. Yeah, yeah, and then where he puts it too is just like that's yeah, it's, it's an elite it's, shot. You tip your hat sometimes, right? Um, you know, in the Demko, like he, like he owned the first goal, but it was funny being in the Leafs room. Uh, Nylander talked about looking specifically for a moment where the traffic flashed, and I think Myers was a part of it, yep. and Demko got pulled to one side, and then he hits the spot from the other, and so as much as you know how competitive Thatcher is, and he, he, he talked after the game about you know that one being, I think he said, you know, it led to an avalanche, or led to the avalanche after that, and so probably mm. something he thought about and wanted back. Um, you know, sometimes great players make great plays, and there was a very conscious effort there from Nylander to see a screen. Uh, maybe Demko wants to play the screen differently, but he saw what was happening and took advantage of it. And the other one, once it hits Susie's stick, I know a lot of people are like, oh, when it's that far out, you should react to it. Yeah, Dude, no, it's, that's, it's, that's it's a tough Willie one. Willie Nylander with an open wrist shot. If at the NHL level you are not reacting to where that puck is going before it leaves Nylander's blade, 
you're getting beat clean a lot. And I, all goalies talk about this. All the anticipation, they know where it's going before it's off the blade, and they have to start reacting to it. So anytime it changes direction, you're sort of just – maybe you react quick enough to get a piece of it, or maybe your positioning so good that it gets deflected into you. Um, but the combination of being a rush downhill and needing to react because it is Willie Nylander, like – I don't blame that one on Demko. It goes down as a mid mid percentage shot. Um, it's one of those ones as a goalie you could have had, but I would never classify that as one. As I heard people on the post game show, one that the goalie should have had. Yeah, no. I, once I saw that it was deflected by Susie's stick, I, you know, I thought I considered it a. That changes all the math. Yeah, exactly. I, I, watching it on first glance, I was like, did he just get beat clean? And then I saw the replay and knew. Um, and I think we've seen enough to know like it's so rare that. Uh, that was my hesitation. I'm like, there's, there's, there's just no way it, it looks that awkward if it doesn't hit something. Yeah. Um, what's your take here on the Canucks as an all-in team leading up to the trade deadline? Oh man, I'm. Just, I'll put it this way. I'm glad there are people that are a lot smarter than me and making a lot more money than me that are responsible <laughs> for those decisions. Um, as the lowly goalie guy, it's a, it's above my pay grade and I'm happy for that. I think it all just depends on the price, right? Like, and, and, you know, how, how, how have they shaped out the roster in their minds or on paper from this year on forward? You know, how much does the OEL buyout impact their ability to retain certain guys next year? How confident are they that the improvements in Abbotsford, among some of the prospects and the development we've seen down there, we'll give you guys that can step in for whether it's a Dakota Joshua or a Sam Lafferty and make sure your bottom of the lineup still taken care of at a reasonable cost. Like those are all questions that I think have to go into this answer because if you're going to give up a ton for the right now, it's always with the risk of how do you replenish in the future. And so it's a tough one because it's been so long since we've seen a team in Vancouver compete like this. And so you want to give them their best chance. Well, they've got all those bullets in the chamber while there's, you know, all these pending unrestricted free agents or the price of going up on restricted free agents like Heronic and Pedersen, you know, well, they're cheaper now. I get that. And yet after years of sort of, you know, the cupboard being bare because of poor decisions Um, for a team that, frankly, wasn't even close to competitive, I understand the hesitation. So I actually thought Jim Rutherford put it really well. Like, 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 like the Bruins set records last year, loaded up and were gone in the first round, right? Like, there's a risk either way. There's a risk to not helping them. There's a risk to adding. uh, And the question, to me, all comes down to just just how extreme are the prices. Yeah. Yeah. The one that's been lingering in my head is, can you imagine an Owen Tippett Sasha Barkov, Sam Reinhardt line right now. If they hadn't gone out and got Giroux and won four playoff games as a result, right? And that's you know, and there you go. Like that's that's a great example, Thomas. Of you know, like so, is it futures? Is it picks? And can you, as much as we don't want to talk about giving away picks for a team that that did so for far too long, um, can yeah. You now you kind of got to. Yeah, you you can live with that, but is it? You know, there's there's risk, right? There's risk in in, and they've talked about it with with Kuzmenko, right? Like Jim Rutherford is confident that he will score a bunch again, mm-hmm. whether it's here or elsewhere, right? So, 
I think the Tippett example is a good one because, you know, that, like, what what did you get out of Giroux? And, you know, sometimes I think at the end of the day, you trust this pro scouting staff because they've found pieces that fit. Yes. Because there's such synergy between what the coaches want and what uh, management is going out and getting. And, yeah, some of it's familiarity, but, like, Lafferty fit, right? <laughs> Isn't it interesting, by the way, because we don't talk yeah. about this much, but I, and we're running short on time. This is probably something we could do a full segment on. But isn't it interesting that like the pro scouting department on the heater of all heaters right now, right, was like the department least impacted by the management changes? I'll be honest, hadn't thought of that. But um, isn't it isn't it yeah. fascinating? Like a lot of these guys, like Brett Henning's still there directing, like. Kamadoski, like it's this it's mostly the same group which probably goes to speak to like it, it i would imagine and not having any glimpse in there but everybody being on the same page in terms of what you're looking for yeah direction smart, smart, priorities smart, right yeah and, and synergy from top to bottom right like finding a guy you really like and who may be a really good player but doesn't play the style your head coach wants or needs in the position he's going to fill does you no good. He still may be a really good player, but it does you no good if it doesn't fit those things, right? So um, it is a great point, and I, and I think the fact that everybody's on the same page makes this, you know, whatever move they make, it's more likely to succeed. And this isn't an anti-Claude Giroux thing, but, like, you see how Florida plays now, and obviously this was, that was a, you know, there was some time that has passed, but you see how they play now. You see how the Canucks play now. Does Giroux fit that? And I know he's got more grit and grind to his game than maybe a lot of people on the outside give him credit, but I just think it's at least a fair question, if nothing else. And I think you're confident as they head into this decision that they're asking the same questions. Not just, mm-hmm. is he a good player? Because too many times it felt like in the betting area, it's just like, this guy was once a good player, or we think he can be a good player again, as opposed to what exact role is this guy going to fit on our team are we confident he will? And will those improvements, if he makes them, fit where we are as a team moving forward, both financially and in terms of the contributions we need from him? Kevin, we got a wrap, but I just wanted to do a quick fact check. Canucks Pro Scouts, uh, aside from Scott Young, the director of player personnel, all holdovers from the last regime, which makes this club's success in this arena over the last 12 months that much more mystifying in some ways. Hey! Thanks for having you on. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure, my friend. We'll see you at the rink this week. Don't forget, I'm a presentation of White Rock Hyundai, Durant. Oh, don't worry. You I'll, know, I'll how, to, do you know your, how to pronounce it now. I'll do your extra on your way out. boy. <laughs> see you, bud. Thanks. Kevin Woodley, who tried to do the read for me, is, <laughs> is brought to you by White Rock Hyundai. Visit the showroom on King George in White Rock or whiterockhyundai.com. That does it. That's a wrap. I nailed the reads, I'll tell you that much. Had some decent takes. Had some super friends on the program. I, You know, it's really all about that. It's about time spent together and about the reads we butchered on the way. Thank you for listening to Canucks Talk. I'm Thomas Trance. Jamie Dodd will be back tomorrow. You are listening to Sportsnet 650.